Welcome to the Association for Industrial Archaeology's Conference 2006. 140 delegates have just arrived in the Isle of Man by sea and air, plus a few locals coming by foot and by car. It's Friday evening and we're gathering to hear an introductory lecture by Frank Cowan, a local who's a trustee of Manx National Heritage, uh, the man who's masterminded many of the local arrangements for visits this week, and he was here for the founding of the AIA at the 1973 conference. Frank's talk, which I didn't record, covered the fantastic range of industrial archaeological heritage on the island. There was everything here from lead and copper mining right through to kipper factories. All of this in the absence of coal, which meant there were many, many water power installations, often using small streams but with large falls, hence big water wheels like the famous one at Laxey. Frank also covered some of the general history of man, from ancient times to modern, emphasising throughout that the Isle of Man, though a crown dependency, is not part of the UK or part of the EU. This may explain why everyone seems so relaxed. <laughs> Frank's talk was followed by some shorter talks from members, including a very interesting presentation by Henrik Harno of Odens, Denmark, about industrial archaeological issues in Denmark today. I'll be talking to Henrik later, but it's time to go to the bar now, so um, I'll have to uh, leave you for a bit. Saturday morning, breakfast time. I'm talking with Henrik Harno, our Danish delegate, about his talk yesterday evening. I asked Henrik to say a little bit more about the Danish industrial espionage during the Industrial Revolution. Did they really steal industrial secrets from Britain? Actually, uh, I mean, you tend to believe that uh, in the middle 18th century that people wouldn't really know what was going on. But actually, uh, the Danish government and the nobility knew quite well what was happening in Britain. And, um, I mean, part of the philosophy of that period would be to uh, get as large part of the cake as possible. So you would like to spy on Britain, to have some new technology. And especially when, I mean, the first real factories, Arclight factories and, and that kind of stuff came up, they sent spies to Britain, like other nations did at the same time sometimes uh, acting as real spies, sometimes just uh, using their network. It may be uh, Freemasons in London uh -huh. that, that actually uh, made technology quite accessible without spying. But sometimes they um, spied in the traditional sense, so to speak, and some of them were also caught. We know of the Danish spy, Jungberg, a scientist, a professor from Kiel, nowadays northern Germany, he, uh, he was caught at Wedgwood Potteries, escaped, and uh, I think there's a bit of his diary left. We know quite a lot of this, and, and into minute detail, really, because they had to report on their findings. They were financed by the state, so when they returned to Copenhagen, uh, they wrote uh, reports that are now available to us. They haven't been used much, much before, really. They were more or less discovered... Um, in the 1980s and 1990s, right. yeah, people knew about them but weren't really interested. Yeah. I mean, you had to have that perspective, industrial archaeology, uh, new history of technology, that kind of stuff. So, but also um, textiles, 
were of course important. Uh, just about the time when, uh, a bit later than uh, after Arkwright's first factories were built, um, a sweep that came to Copenhagen was sent uh, on a mission to England. Mm. And then um, we don't exactly know where he was, a few of uh, the places we know of, but he went here and there and brought Arkwright technology back to Denmark. And the first, we say, the first modern factory was built uh, just outside Copenhagen. Now, today, yeah. it would be in the center. An Arkwright factory uh, powered by a horse mill. And that was known as the, the Manchester factory? That was known as the Manchester factory. So, and that is also, I mean, that is proof that they knew very well what they, was doing, yeah. they were doing at that time. Yes. Yeah. They also went to Cobraldale? They went to Cobraldale, um, but you'd say that there was another, they didn't, you cannot really say that uh, British iron technology was in, imported in that sense. And that, of course, because Britain um, had both coal and iron, whereas Denmark would not be able to copy directly. Mm. Uh, but in a sense, I mean, Norway had the blast furnaces that uh, you, you have to see Denmark and Norway as um, the twin nations until we lost Norway in 1814. Right. So the blast furnaces were in Norway, yes. therefore you wouldn't yeah, have it in Copenhagen. Or yeah. So, the Danes did spy on us, but they also employed us, as Henrik now explains. There's another, I mean, there are two sides of the coin, and one is spying, the other one is uh, importing, uh, attracting British uh, technicians to Denmark. Ah, yes. Right. And, and that was probably even more important. An 18th century brain drain. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm, I don't really know about the brain drain, because they were not all successful, right. but um, <laughs> quite a few charlatans too, I think. Right. But, uh, I think you found that in, in France and in Germany too. But of course also competent technicians. Mm. The first Danish uh, steam engine uh, was installed in Copenhagen in 1790 by an Englishman. And also you, you found, I mean, in the late 18th century, you'd actually find a whole colony of Englishmen living uh, in a part of Copenhagen, um, close to Holland, the large uh, naval dockyard, and uh, also being diffused all over mm. uh, in, in textiles, but definitely in the metal industries and uh, uh, other specialist positions in early industry. But I think, I think it was important in a sense, but you cannot really say that it was possible to import the Industrial Revolution yeah. to Denmark. They were yeah. not successful in doing that, simply because that the Danish economy was relatively backwards, uh, whereas the English economy was the most mature economy in Europe at that time. So you have a you say pre, pre-industrial, proto-industrial period until, say, the 1830s in Denmark, where things were tried out, uh, modern technology was being introduced, but never proved, proved successful on, as private enterprise, really. That was not until the 1830s. But still after that, you find quite a few uh, British uh, names like English. That's, of course, something he called himself, self right. coming to Denmark. Uh, George Owen, names like that you'll find yeah. also in the later period. Henrik also talked about the later phases of industrialization in Denmark, from the 1830s onwards, when Denmark's Industrial Revolution really began. 
He also talked about Denmark's new heritage agency, founded very recently in 2002, and how their adoption of industrial heritage as a theme has raised awareness of industrial archaeological in Denmark for the first time. Well, um, industrial archaeology uh, is not has not been a strong discipline in Denmark. Uh, probably also due to the fact that the picture of Denmark as an basically an agricultural nation. Uh, agriculture is so much part of our, uh, the way we see ourselves. And also industry was relatively late, meaning that it probably has not been seen as real hi- in history. No. No. But um, when uh, the AIA was founded in Britain shortly after um, the first uh, Danish historians became interested in it, very directly inspired by what was happening in Britain. Right, good. Uh, quite a few visited, I think, and still only a handful. But they, uh, after the, shortly after that, 1975, they had uh, funding for a large research project that was really the pioneering uh, industrial archaeology project in Denmark. After that, the society that uh, I represent, Society for the Conservation of the Industrial Heritage, um, was founded and um, the periodical factory and dwelling has been we've been publishing yeah, that that's ever that's since but yeah. but n- there's been I think a change of focus for some years it never really mm. got strong industrial archaeology um, you could probably say we have quite a few members of the society around 300 and that is quite a lot uh, when we only have a population of 5 million but yeah. still, but still, uh, I mean, not much has been written, uh, especially in the 1980s and 90s. Focus was on the history of technology. But now, with the, the assistance of the new heritage agency uh, and the and museums, ha- and how new is this? The uh, 2002, oh, and right. um, brought together uh, quite a few things that ought to have been quite uh, earlier. Yeah. Museums, uh, physical heritage, all that is within that agency right now, and that helps a lot, I think. And the first thing they did was to put, say, our first area of focus will be uh, the industrial heritage, and it right. will be for three years. We will uh, channel... Uh, quite a lot of money into that we will try to support museums doing research into that and we will also try to further say meetings uh, seminars conferences and they've been they've been doing that for the last uh, three years and uh, as a result of that the Danish museums said okay we will do a Danish heritage year and agreed with the agency and we found funding both within the agency and uh, from the outside so we have uh, a secretary and uh, two others working full time in Copenhagen right now at the right. National Museum, running that, preparing the heritage preparing year. Yeah, that will be next year, 2007. And that will just be the, the one year, but, but, but you've yes. got three years of concentration on industrial heritage. Yes, heritage. but you can say we have already, that has already been going on for two years now. Oh, I see. So, I see. Right. so that is more or less uh, the, the climax of the year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Culmination of for three years, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, there'll be uh, lots of uh, publications 
probably quite a few smaller ones, but also some considerable ones, uh, two or three books. Can we find out more about what you... Have you got a website, and is, it, is there anything in English? Uh, well, <laughs> <coughs> I'm not sure whether there is much in English. Right. A little bit, but... Um, there will be, we are doing uh, a catalogue uh, presenting uh, all the initiatives, all the arrangements, the exhibitions for 2007. And there will be an English text in that, a full English text. So, so that's easily accessible. There's uh, a homepage too that is uh, quite good, but I'm afraid in Danish. In Danish. Yes. yes. Uh, it's called Industrikultur, uh, Industrial Culture. Uh, but a quite comprehensive site, uh, and there's a. Uh, I think it will not be that difficult to get along. Uh, I mean, quite a few pictures, dates, yeah. things like that. Quite easy to yeah, see, we really. Can, we can yeah, look, we yeah. can we can look at the pictures. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Not only did the Danes adopt our industrial know-how in the 18th and 19th century, they've also, belatedly followed the British lead in valuing industrial archaeology. After breakfast, we were given presentations by Andrew Fox and Andrew Scarf of Manx National Heritage to set the scene before the programme of field visits, and a very interesting talk from Peter Kelly on the 19th century development of tourism on the island. I'm not proposing to discuss this here, but Frank did highlight two regular issues at the conference, the first being the need to update to digital. I'm used to showing slides that get stuck as well. Um, I was away last week, so I said to my eldest lad, um, do you think you could scan a few of my photographs and postcards for a talk? Oh, yes, Dad, I'll do that for you. Um, he didn't say the bit about, you know, after all you've done for me over the years. <laughs> um, uh, I am so, so much of a luddite, I don't have a mobile phone, I'm silly like that. Um, so whilst we were away, my wife received this text message which said, Tell Dad it took six hours to scan the pictures and four hours to put the talk together. I hope he's getting paid well for this. <laughs> the other issue was the sensitive problem of age. Well, some of you may have seen me last night. I popped into the door for what I thought was the last five minutes of Frank's talk and actually sat through what stood through uh, three magazines of slides. Which um, it, it was very difficult because, of course, you were in darkness and I peered through the door and all I could actually see because the projector was coming this way was a sort of glint of um, steel rim spectacles and a lot of white beards. <laughs> I did wonder, is this them or is this the Father Christmas convention? <laughs> But I thought, well, whatever, I'm probably acceptable, so... <laughs> right. Peter's joke, for it is Peter, not Frank, I've been getting his name mixed up, Peter's joke does uncomfortably highlight the relative seniority of the AIA delegates and the need to get more younger members. Perhaps we should turn the tables on Denmark for once and learn from them. Here's what Henrik has to say about industrial archaeologists over there. They are young people, uh, just starting their career in museums, yeah. so they, they will probably carry on for a long time, I think. That's all for now. The next podcast will cover the Manx language and a railway. See you next time.